What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, my favorite, we got a Q&A. And the reason I love Q&A so much is because they are so specific to you, the listener. It gives you a chance to ask your specific question and get exact feedback to troubleshoot you through your plateaus or just to get your name shouted out on the podcast because it feels good to get shouted out. It feels good to be listened to. It feels good to be heard. It feels good to get some attention. And I get it because I remember that being one of my favorite things, posting a question into a podcast that I listened to that I respected and then waiting to see if I was going to make the cut, waiting to see if I was going to be one of the people that got uh, the chance to get my question answered. And, And because of the nature of my name, of course, I remember multiple times, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out Mind Pump right now. The first time they said my name, they said they didn't know if Cody Boom Boom was a stripper or a boxer, and I thought that was hilarious. But there's been many other times where the whole Boom Boom name has gotten kind of carried away, and to this day, it still makes people laugh, but people don't forget it, and that's the whole point. So today, before we get into this awesome Q&A session, which is, it really is awesome because we got a lot of really good questions today. We got some personal ones. We got some fitness ones, some nutrition ones. We got some hormonal ones, some business ones. We got a wide variety of questions today and I'm really pumped to get to them. But before we do that, I do want to announce the winner of the fat grips. So last couple weeks, I've said, everybody leave me a five-star rating and review. I'm going to choose a winner. The one with the best five-star rating and review. Got to leave five stars. Once I read that out, I'm going to call out their name, and what they need to do is email me in, and, and Fat Grips is going to donate a pair of Fat Grips to the listener. And they actually just sent me another pair, and they actually had my name embroidered in it. So shout out to Fat Grips. Um, they know I love their equipment, and they sent me a pair of my own custom-made Cody McBroom Fat Grips, which I thought was really cool. It was a really cool customer service thing to do. But um, I love Fat Grips. Guys, if you don't know what Fat Grips are, Fat Grips are these rubber handles that you can put on damn near anything in the gym. Barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, uh, TRX handles, um, sled poles, bands. You can put them on anything. The whole point is to create more tension. So I love them because if somebody has weak grip strength, it helps them improve that. If they are lacking tension, anywhere in their body when they're doing a movement, it helps them create more tension throughout their body, which is one of the reasons why I love it so much because somebody could be doing an RDL or a lunge or something, but they just lack total body tension, core strength. You can throw those on there and you you better believe it's going to create tension because you have to crush the handle just to hold on to it. Um, And then last but not least, they are the ultimate arm pump builder. If you put those on a barbell or a dumbbell when you are doing any kind of curl or tricep work, you're going to get a crazy pump. So I love them. And I'm going to give a free pair out. So they're going to ship them directly to your inbox or your mailbox. And the winner I chose today, um, sorry if I butcher your name, which you guys know I do quite often, is Kier C. K-I-E-R dot C. I don't know if that's your name or your email or what, but that's what iTunes tells me. So Kier, she said, or he, sorry if, it, if you're a dude. Here she said, it's so refreshing to listen to someone who shares similar views and philosophies about health, fitness, and nutrition. Not sure how I found this podcast, but I'm so glad I did. I'm addicted. Cody is relatable, vulnerable, and just an absolute pleasure to listen to. Great content and powerful messages. So thank you so much, uh, Kier. I I do appreciate that. I, I, I love the way you said relatable and especially vulnerable. And I think those are the two biggest things that I try to do is I try to make sure this message is clear to you, the listener, and you can relate to it. But I also want to be vulnerable because somebody who is vulnerable is is really just being real. Like that's the realest way to do things. So, Kier, what I need you to do is I need you to email info at boomboomperformance.com. Let her know that you are the winner of the Fat Grips from the podcast rating and review contest. Just send her your full name and your address, and we are going to ship those fat grips right to your mailbox. Now, without any further ado or rambling, let's get on to the Q&A. All right, guys, so before I actually get this started, I want to take a second to mention how you can actually ask me questions, because... I know there's a there's multiple people who are in the private Facebook forum, and, and as most of you guys know, if you haven't purchased Functional Muscle, my new training program, which there is a link for in the show notes, you actually can't get access into the f- private Facebook forum anymore because the purpose of the Facebook forum is for private support and accountability, and that's what it's going to stay. So unless you purchase the new program, you're not going to be in there. 
So the next best way to ask me any question for the podcast is going to be one of two things. First and foremost, you can email me directly. You can email my, my assistant, info at boomboomperformance.com with the subject line podcast question. And you can ask us anything. And you have plenty of freedom to ask as much as you want because there's a there's a big space in there. So I might regret that. We'll see how long these emails get. But um, actually, I, lie. I won't regret it. My sister might regret that because <laughs> she'll have to read a longer email. Um, so you can shoot uh, Tori an email at info at boomboomperformance.com. You can follow me on Instagram at cody.boomboom. And you can message me directly and ask me any question you want just say hey i have a question for the podcast or you can even go to my website and if you go to boomboomperformance.com slash podcast i have a whole page dedicated to the podcast so you can actually listen to the show on my website on the player but there's also a section that actually says ask boom boom and you can put your name email and your exact question and it'll directly send it to me immediately so it's kind of like a form it's like an application form it goes right to me into my inbox and I will see it immediately. So there's three ways to ask me questions, guys. Info at boomperformance.com via email. You can go to my website and fill out the question form or you can shoot me a DM on Instagram. Either way, I want you guys to ask your questions and I feel like everybody should be heard. So let's get on to the questions that I do have for the show. The first question comes from Georgia Connolly. Georgia says, any truth in the benefits of beetroot juice for improved cardiovascular endurance? Yes, there is some truth. So beet juice, basically, possibly, there's. I mean, there is some studies and data showing it. How much is kind of relative, right? Like I know that people will say, oh, you know, drink beetroot juice and you're going to get a big pump and because there's nitric oxide, uh, there's nitrates in it, which can turn into nitric oxide. That was a tongue twister for some reason. Uh, but essentially, like we got to be careful with how much is in there and how much we really think that's going to make such a difference, right? Like I believe like – if you really want to get good pumps in the gym, you want good muscular endurance, you want good stamina, yes, beetroot juice can help you. But the most important thing for you to do is actually going to be carbohydrates in your diet. Make sure you're not restricting sodium or taking salt completely out of your diet and then just staying hydrated. If you drink enough water, you eat enough of the right carbs, you eat carbs around your training and you actually have salt in your diet, I guarantee you're going to see better pumps. In fact, when I'm not getting good pumps, I have to question, is my hydration good? Is my sodium intake good? And am I getting the right type of carbs? Uh, but back to the real question, yes, beet juice can help. Beet juice is also extremely healthy. Like beets are really, really good for you. And there's a ton of vitamins and minerals in it that have a lot of other benefits. But specifically because of the uh, – like I was talking about, the nitric oxide effect of what beets can actually do, beet juice can help. Stamina when you ex- for exercising longer can help improve blood flow to give you a better pump. It can actually even help lower blood pressure according to some studies. So beets are – they're rich in a natural chemical called nitrates. And that nitrate creates a reaction in your body which changes into the nitric oxide that I was talking about. And just like we see in like NO Explode and all these supplements, it's just nitric oxide, right? But there's a lot going on in our body from converting – things into nitric oxide, which is why you can't buy a supplement that has pure nitric oxide and expect it to work too well. Because remember, beets are rich in a chemical called nitrates, which can cause a reaction and help your body change the nitrates into nitric oxide. Just like uh, the whole process with arginine, right? Like arginine isn't going to directly give you a pump. Your body has to take things and convert it into arginine to make it work. So really... It's kind of a confusing process, to be honest with you. It's, but more importantly, it's splitting hairs. If you really want the upper edge on having better stamina, training longer, endurance, improved blood flow for better pumps, dial your nutrition in. Yes, can you and should you eat beets and possibly drink beet juice before your training? Absolutely. I would recommend that over and explode any day. But at the end of the day, you're going to be splitting hairs unless you really dial in your total macros, right? We got to look at the bucket and think of big rocks, little rocks, pebbles, right? The beet juice before training is absolutely a pebble, if not sand. And until your big rocks and, and, and smaller rocks are, are in the bucket, shouldn't be worrying about that. And the only reason I want to point that out is because I get a lot of questions about the minutia and I, I really want people to constantly focus on the big things. Now, if you are dialed in across the board, training, sleep, nutrition, all that stuff, 
then yeah, drink some beetroot juice and you might actually notice a bigger pump, especially if you're already lean and your nutrition's good. It's going to work even better because if everything across the board is shit and you're not training very well, you're not recovering, you're not sleeping enough, your nutrition is out of whack, you're not hitting your macros and you drink beetroot juice, you're probably not going to see much of a benefit. But if everything's dialed in and you have that beetroot juice before you train, it is going to help you with endurance, with getting a pump, so on and so forth. Next question comes from Rihanna Healy. Reverse dieting exercise modifications. Should you be lowering intensity or volume? Um, this is really dependent on the individual and the situation at hand, right? So, like, if I have somebody who is hmm, – how should I say this? Because some people, like, they're, they need a reverse diet, but they're not overtraining, right? Like, there's a lot of people I get that are under eating, and they're not – training enough either. So for certain people, when I go into a reverse diet, I will bring their calories up, but I will actually bring up their volume as well because they were just not training very smartly or they weren't doing enough. And they actually weren't seeing results, not only because they weren't eating enough, but also possibly because they weren't training hard enough. I also have people who may have been at a place where their training was really on point, but they were eating, under eating, so I reverse diet them and leave their training. Um, I have people who I do that, and then after a while, I actually bring up their training as well because I'm really pushing the calories up, and I know that they can handle more volume because the recovery has been so much better lately. Um, but then I also have people who are under eating and overtraining quite a bit, and I have, this is big in the CrossFit space, right? Like there's a lot of people who are just do, overdoing not total volume, but just intensity. So what I typically do. When I modify exercise according to somebody's reverse diet, I'm usually looking to lower intensity versus volume. There's not too many people that need a reverse diet um, that are doing too much volume unless they are straight coming out of a bodybuilding show. But even then, those people can usually handle the volume. And even though their volume is pushing so high, their intensity isn't because they're doing predominantly bodybuilding work. So it really depends on the individual. 100% of the time. So I think that in most cases, it's in most cases when we're doing a reverse diet, I am either completely leaving their training volume or I'm just slightly lowering the intensity because with intensity comes damaging central nervous system and damaging hormones essentially. Um, and not necessarily damaging. That's a, that's a bad word choice, uh, but more so just like possible harm, right? Like we're really pushing it with the central nervous system and we're really pushing it with the hormonal system because of that nervous system adaptation. So um, with most people, exercise modifications is going to be lowering intensity. And that basically means lowering either A, the high intensity cardio or B, lowering the amount of low rep, high weight training they're doing, which is another form of intensity. We just want to lower anything that's going to be pushing too much on the central nervous system. So I might actually encourage people to do a little bit more functional bodybuilding style training than CrossFit, right? Like I know you love CrossFit, but let's try functional bodybuilding where we're doing more movement-oriented stuff. We're still training full body. We are pushing the volume a little bit, but we're not like going all-out metabolic intensity, heart rate through the roof every single session we're training. And we're also not lifting three, four, five rep low rep high weight training every single day. Um, and that's why CrossFit can be really damaging, right? They're doing explosive Olympic lifts and they're doing heavy strength lifts and then they're doing high intensity Metcons all in the same session multiple times a week, which can work really well if you balance things out. So I think with reverse dieting, it comes down to the individual at hand and some people just love that training. So I'm not going to take that away. Right. And I think that's like a game you have to play with the individual at hand. Like, and that's, that's kind of like one of the, uh, arts of coaching, right? Like you can't, you can't reverse diet somebody and be like, Hey, we're going to bump your calories up. And I don't want you to train nearly as much. Like I want you out of the gym. Like sometimes it takes modifying their training a little bit and just kind of being sneaky with it, right? They still want to go to the gym and feel like they're grinding a little bit and pushing it, but you might have to play with intensity a little bit to trick them into doing less essentially. Or you just don't even touch their training. Look, if they're, if they're a diehard training or if they're into the sport of CrossFit, I have a lot of people I've reverse dieted that were into the sport of CrossFit. They like competing. Like, I've, I mean, the Opens right now, I have a lot of people that do the Open and stuff, and they are doing it for their best times. They don't give a shit about their body composition as much. I shouldn't say give a shit at all because I think everybody does a little bit. But um, there's a lot of people who I won't touch their training. I might encourage more recovery. So, hey, like, let's start tracking your sleep. Hey, let's get in a float tank. Hey, let's meditate. 
to do stuff like that too, but I'm not going to take away their, their training because I know they live for that. So it really depends on the individual. And from a literature or a literature or a science-based perspective, yes, you would be lowering intensity while increasing uh, calories um, slightly or just doing one or the other a little bit more. So in most of my cases, I'm pushing more calories up versus lowering a ton of intensity. But if you're going to do both, I would just do a little bit of both at a time. Franco Guzman says, how do you program core training? You got the, I get it done through my squats and the rest of my exercise camp. And then the ones who take an hour long ab workout session. What's your take on core training? So <laughs> as, as you can imagine, the it, it depends. That's like the most famous, the infamous answer. It depends. And I'm in the middle road, right? So if I had a bodybuilder who got super, super lean and he's, his abs weren't popping out, like I couldn't, they weren't standing out to me and very noticeable, then I would absolutely be adding way more direct core work in. Um, but if I have a general fat loss client, I'm not adding a ton of direct core work that is specific to hypertrophy of the abdomens. And what I mean by that is I'm not doing weighted sit-ups a ton. I'm not doing a lot of, like I might do a little bit of weighted flexion, uh, I'm going to do a lot more stability stuff, and I'm going to do a lot more things that kind of get it done through the rest of my exercise, and what I mean by that is I'm going to squeeze it in there by doing um, offloaded carries, right, like one overhead kettlebell, one down below farmer's walk style, and now you have this cross-body core training, farmer's carry. I'm going to do offset squats and offset lunges, so my body is put into that offset, again, cross-body, cross-core weighted pattern. I'm going to do um, unilateral work. I'm going to do single arm rows in a uh, elevated renegade style. Like so where your hands on the bench, your feet are on the floor, you're doing like a one arm plank against the bench and then you're rowing. I'm going to do things like that, right? I'm going to do carries. I'm going to do bear crawls. I'm going to do dynamic warmups that have a lot of core work in it, but I'm not going to sit there and do an hour of abs. I'm not going to have an ab day. I'm going to sneak it in where I can. I think this is much more applicable to a functional training, a functional strength base a functional body period and that's actually why like you'll notice if you're if you're running functional muscle my training program which if you're not you can get that at the link in the show notes there's a lot of that in there right there's a lot of sneak it in there and then there's also a little bit of core work because I know I made this for the masses and I know that there's a lot of people that are buying this program that want to see direct core work because they do want to hypertrophy their abs they want to see more ab muscles so for them um, I think it's good, and, and that's why I have a little bit in there. I have a weighted crunch or a weighted sit-up or some type of weighted flexion-based movement. I have some uh, heavier loads. I have some cross-body stuff. I have those kind of movements in there, so I do a little bit of both. But I think for the general public, I like to fit it into the rest of my exercise. I don't think just squatting is enough. I don't. I think you need a strong core in order to squat. But, like, for me, the, what I'm doing right now, because I'm not actually personally running functional muscle because I've already ran it twice in the making of it so right now I'm not doing that so right now my main functional uh, or my main core work is done I do squat I back squat one day a week I front squat one day a week I'm also doing a lot of offset work so I'm doing um, bottoms up carries and bottoms up presses I'm doing offset kettlebell lunges I'm doing crossbody carries single arm carries front rack carries doing a lot of front loaded um, unilateral work whether that's zercher sandbag or kettlebell but I sneak it in, right? I don't like doing a ton of direct work. Now, I do some side planks, some pal-off pressing, some fallouts, some seesaw planks. I do that kind of stuff. But it's, it's, it's rarely it, – I fit it in much more as rest of the exercise type work simply because I do believe it applies to a more functional base of strength. So my recommendation to anybody out there is if you want to – make your abs pop out because you got really lean and you can't see your abs popping out, I would highly recommend you do direct weighted core work, whether that's weighted planks um, and that's a side plank, a front plank, uh, hanging knee raises and some kind of weighted flexion, so crunches or sit-ups. Those are going to be your best bang for your buck, build your abs. Some kind of sit-up with weight, some kind of hanging knee raise, and then the next one would be some kind of plank movement. If you want a more functional core, one that's going to actually – help you support and prevent injuries, I would highly suggest more stability-based movements. So more hollow holds, more hanging hollow holds, more planks, more weighted planks, more carries, more cross-body movements where you're doing, um, whether it's unilateral work or bilateral work, but you're doing some kind of movement exercise with a 
cross-body loading pattern. And what I mean by that is one kettlebell on one side, nothing on the other. Or one kettlebell overhead, one kettlebell at your side. Stuff like that helps a lot with functional core work. So that's kind of my take is I think from a more functional approach, that stuff helps more. And I think it's really important for that stuff as far as how to prevent injuries and how to create more stability with your body. But I think when it comes to building the ab muscles itself, because there's a lot of bodybuilders who will get really lean and their abs don't pop out. They're not noticeable abs, and it's because their abs don't contain a lot of muscle mass, right? They, there's no hypertrophy to their mu- abs. And for those people, weighted flexion exercise, hanging knee raises, stuff like that, like direct ab work on a regular basis is really, really important. So it just kind of depends where you're at. Jessica Evans asks, super specific question. It's my favorite kind. I love kettlebell swings, but my gym only goes up to 45 pounds, so I double up and swing them suitcase style. Is there any hierarchy between double suitcase style versus swinging doubles between the legs or just inner versus outer thigh glute work? I actually don't think there's much of a difference as far as what muscles you're building in there, right? Like when, you, when you're swinging the kettlebells in between your legs, obviously you're going to have to go a little bit wider stance. You might get a little more adductor work. But to be honest with you, when you're doing a powerful swing movement, you're going to get so much hams and, and glutes regardless of where the load is coming from, whether you have one kettlebell, offset kettlebell, double kettlebell on the sides, double kettlebell in the middle. Um, I would suggest doing whatever feels the most efficient with you. What allows your hip to be explosive? What allows your back to stay flat? What allows you to go through the kettlebell swing with efficiency and proper form without getting injured? That's all that matters. Kettlebell swing is mainly a, a metabolic movement. Yes, you can build some muscle. You can build some better glutes with it. But to be honest with you, the kettlebell swing is more meant for a metabolic training effect. If you want to build your glutes, do a kettlebell deadlift. Don't do a swing. Now, I think there's merit to doing swings while building muscle, don't get me wrong, but I do believe it's better for movement purposes and fat loss purposes because it is a metabolic type exercise. You're getting your heart rate up, you're moving fast, you can only go so heavy on a swing and it'd be really beneficial. So, um, and you can go pretty heavy on a swing, but again, you can go heavier on a deadlift and that's what's going to help build the glutes more. So for you, honestly, there's, I don't think there is any hierarchy. I think the hierarchy lies in the individual. So again, it's an individual matter and I think that whatever allows you to place more emphasis on your form and proper technique is going to be the best kettlebell swing for you. Lauren McKenzie, figuring out maintenance calories and how much different is nutrition for somebody doing CrossFit versus doing functional muscle and focused on aesthetics during both? How big should a deficit in both activities for fat loss? So I think this a little confusing, but it, it sounds like what you're asking is figuring out maintenance calories and how much, like how does nutrition differ from CrossFit versus a functional muscle type program. So the function, cause she is running functional muscle. Functional muscle is a upper lower split. It's four days a week. It's heavy strength training. There's a little bit of metabolic work towards the end and it's a lot more based on aesthetic. So if you want to build muscle, build strength and you want to feel good from a joint by joint perspective, that's the program for you. CrossFit is much more intense. Therefore, I believe that nutrition needs to be catered to that. I think that CrossFit is so intense, it's, it needs more calories. I think that it's safer to be in a deficit and lose fat on a program on function, like functional muscle than to expect going into a diet while doing something like CrossFit because CrossFit takes fuel. Like people, people need to realize this. Like if you look at a boxer or a UFC fighter or um, a football player, like in, and I'm not, boxers and UFC fighters can be a bad example because when they stand on the podium, they're shredded. And yes, they dieted for that, but they dieted for a week. You know what I mean? They didn't diet like they – I shouldn't say they didn't diet because nutrition is always a factor with these fighters. But the reason these athletes – so football players are a better example. The reason these athletes are, are shredded is because they fuel performance and they're patient. They've been playing football for years. They've been practicing their ass off for years. And they fuel their body to perform at the highest level. A lot of them have good genetics as well, but that's what causes their body to change. Now, they don't get into football to look more aesthetically pleasing. And I pause there because that's the key. That's the major concept that people need to realize is you shouldn't get into CrossFit to look better. You should get into CrossFit to feel good, to be in a group atmosphere, and to crush weights at a high intensity. If you love the sport of CrossFit, then that's what you should do. Now, some people can change their aesthetics through CrossFit, but a lot of those people don't do CrossFit every day. Um, and I'm going to go on a tangent with that, so I don't want to go too deep into that rabbit hole again. But essentially what you need to focus on is if you're doing CrossFit and you're doing it at the level that CrossFit is meant to do it at, 
you should not be in a deficit. If you're doing functional muscle, you absolutely can be in a deficit to lose body fat and, and create that fat loss effect that you want. And functional muscle is set up the way it is to make sure that you do not lose any muscle during that process. You maintain all that muscle during that process. Um, but it's, I would say it's safer. I would say functional muscle or any type of just basic strength training program is going to be more, it's going to be safer to be in a deficit on than CrossFit simply because CrossFit is so unbelievably intense. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, I don't think anybody should be in a deficit for too long. So I think it really depends where you're at. I think that figuring out maintenance calories can really, like maintenance calories can change. And that's kind of where metabolic flexibility and metabolic capacity kind of come in. So you could you could record your diet right now and you could bring your calories up to where you're not gaining any weight and you're not losing any weight. So if I'm... 170 pounds and I'm consuming 2,800 calories and I'm eating 2,800 calories every day and I'm not gaining any weight and I'm not losing any weight. That is my maintenance calories. Now, if I drop those calories down to 2,400 to create a 400 calorie deficit and burn some body fat, I'm going to get great results. It's not going to harm my, my metabolism and all these different hormones right away because it's not a huge deficit. I'm still not in an unhealthy place and it takes time for these hormones to adapt in a negative way as well as a positive way. So I can run with that deficit for a while, see the fat loss I want to see, and then I can slowly bring my calories back up and try to re-achieve that maintenance because at a certain point, that 2,400 calories is going to become my maintenance if I wait too long. And that's why figuring out your maintenance is really hard. Now, I could say 14 to 15 times your body weight should be your, your maintenance, but it's relative to each individual. How many times have you dieted? How often do you move? Those two things in general are going to change your maintenance calories significantly. So... If I dieted down to 2,400 calories and I left it there for six weeks and I, I was losing fat every single week and then I plateaued and then I drop it down to 2,000 calories and I keep cranking on that, well, my maintenance is slowly lowering the longer I stay in that deficit. And once I start pushing past 10, 12, 16 weeks like a lot of these bodybuilding show, show dieters do, that's when you start tampering with your maintenance calories and that's when your maintenance calorie starts lowering. So it's important to diet and then bring it back up diet, bring it back up and play with this periodization model. Now, if you have a show in mind, then obviously you can't bring it back up always. You kind of have to go for that. You have to sacrifice your maintenance calories dropping and then you have to be really patient on the reverse diet back up because it takes time to bring that maintenance calories up, right? So I'm, I'm in the process of reverse dieting myself simply because my goal is to build muscle and be stress-free. I got a lot going on in my life and I need more calories and I'm not gaining any weight. Now, we've been bumping my calories up quite a bit. So what my maintenance was three months ago is different than what my maintenance is now because I gained weight and then we uh, waited. My, my weight stabilized out. We brought up calories. I gained weight. My weight either dropped or stabilized. Then we brought calories back up. So it's kind of like this teeter-totter game of playing with your macros and your, your scale, right? So you can change your maintenance calories. So it's really hard to say how you should figure out your maintenance calories. Now, how much different nutrition is for someone doing CrossFit versus functional muscle is basically going to be total caloric intake is probably going to be higher for any competitive CrossFitter. If it's the recreational CrossFitter that does CrossFit a couple times a week and then the rest of the days are like functional muscle, which I have some clients doing a, a combo of both, my program and CrossFit, um, I think you're going to be at a normal amount of calories. Like I don't think anybody should be in a crazy deficit. So um, I think the only reason – only times CrossFit should be significantly more is when somebody is like competing in CrossFit and they're doing CrossFit a lot or they're doing multiple sessions per day because a lot of people who compete in CrossFit have to do multiple sessions per day. They have to work on different forms of endurance and training and all that shit. So it really, really depends on the individual. Um, yeah. So I, th I think at the end of the day and, and one thing to point out too is like obviously CrossFit is more glycolytic. So they're probably going to need more carbs. Like when they're doing the type of workouts they're doing, they're burning pure carbs as fuel. So they're going to need more carbs, which usually just means more calories in general if they're doing a lot of CrossFit. But that could also just mean they have a higher carb ratio in their diet. Oh, this is a great question. Jeff Andres, the biggest fear slash challenge you have or see yourself having when it comes to becoming, when it comes to becoming a dad. I thought I would go outside the training realm for a question. <laughs> Great job, Jeff. I love this question. The biggest fear or challenge you have or see yourself having when it comes to becoming a dad. Man, this has been, I mean, talking about something that can like literally consumes my brain. It's, it's, 
it's becoming a father and it's crazy like i walk into my daughter's room every day and just look at the crib i sit in the little glider i bought which is like our rocking chair i look in her closet and i just like pick up a little shirt and just imagine her in that or like like for any parents out there that remember having a kid like you know i have a big ass grin on my face right now um the socks the socks are the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is one of those things that gets me is like seeing this little, t- like just picturing this little tiny foot. God. Um, okay. So the biggest fear or challenge, the biggest fear or challenge for me is, is just being there. Um, that's the biggest fear is, is, I mean, I think every dad fears not being good enough. Um, I know for me, like one of my daily affirmations that I say every single day is I'm going to be a fantastic father um, because I think it's hard. I think like everybody keeps telling me like how great I'm going to be, but it, it's it's not them I'm trying to convince. It's myself. Right. And I think that's normal. I'm assuming all dads probably went through that phase of like, am I going to be am I going to be the father that I would want to be? And I know for me, like when I was growing up, my dad wasn't there all the time. And I don't mean that as in like my dad abandoned us or anything because I know people go through scenarios that are way worse than I went through. But my dad was a workaholic. I mean, he he just he wasn't around and, and I definitely caught that bug and I struggle with being a workaholic as well because partially because I love what I do so much that I just want to keep doing it. It's my hobby. It's my life. It's my, it's my passion. But I worry that my daughter is going to grow up. Like that's my biggest fear is like that I won't – it won't click with me until it's too late. And I think I've, I've talked – to myself and journaled about this and talked to Shannon enough about this to not really have to worry about it. Um, I think I've got a handle on it, but I think the biggest challenge will be creating that schedule routine lifestyle to make sure that I'm present and that I'm, I'm there. And, and I don't mean present as when I'm with her, I'm thinking about her because I know for a fact, like I'm good about that. Like when I'm with you, I am with you 100% with my clients, with my fiance, with my family, anybody. And I will be the same with her, but more so that I will make sure that I have committed time, a lot of committed time to just being with her. And I will not let anything else consume me. Um, and I think the reason I, I, I say that is simply because I experienced it with my father. And I think that um, it's hard. Like I think back in the day, like that was that was the mo, right? Like guys worked. It's plain and simple. Like like my mom was a housewife, uh, and she took care of us. And God bless her because she is she's my everything. Like I'm such a mama's boy because she did everything for me. She took care of me. She taught me so much. Like I love my mom to death because she was the she was the sole person that just she did everything for me. Plain and simple. But um, I think that in the older days and especially like I'm sure my dad watched his father or his grandfather and all these people like I think that a lot the the older generations that's kind of how things were like the guy was out working and he was home late and then he cracked open a beer and went to bed like that was his lifestyle right and I think that that had a negative impact on me and I just always want to make sure that I do not resemble anything like that because I know that it affected me um and it took a while for me to even like overcome that or like open that Pandora's box up, you know, and like really, really deep dive into that scenario of why that messed with me. Um, and I even did with my father and me and my dad, because I had that conversation with him. He's my best friend. Like we are super, super tight. And if you ever saw us, you would know that we're like the exact same human being, which is probably why that is a fear for me that I will be challenged with that. Um, other than that, I think one other big fear or challenge I have is being really protective. Like I believe that I, – I mean I'm the guy that I listen to like – I listen to a lot of fitness dad podcasts. So I listen to a lot of people who are fathers who talk about that stuff a lot. Uh, so shout out to jo- Josiah Novak. Um, I listen to his podcast. I actually have a podcast with him coming up both on his show and one of him on mine. And uh, I listen to him. I listen. To, I'm, I'm part of some Facebook groups. I read some blogs. Like I, I invest. Uh, Order of Man. Like stuff like that. And and I hear a lot of guys talking about stuff. And I, I hear them speak on letting your child learn lessons for themselves. Right. Like I can't. I can't give them the answers. Sometimes they have to learn. They have to learn tough love. I fear being overly protective and not being able to do that, right? Like I, like I believe there's merit to letting a kid fall and like kind of just looking at him like, oh shit, like he fell. 
instead of like worrying or, or being like, oh my God, are you okay? And then them realizing that something's wrong and allowing them to cry about it. Like I want them to toughen up and learn. The hard part is that I'm such a softy at heart and I just know that I'll melt if I see my daughter fall or, or have anything tough go on in her life. So I think that's a big challenge for me is like knowing my boundaries, like how, like, or, or learning that, right? Like when can I push? When can I create tough love? When can I like, discipline and how hard can I discipline and, and just those little things especially like fuck man like I, I'm I'm a mama's boy I am a helper at nature not only does my name literally mean helper in Gaelic and I'm Irish but that's what I do for a living man I love people I love communicating I love helping like that's my job is to guide individuals um and I'm having a little princess so <laughs> being hard on her is going to be the most difficult thing. If I had a little boy, it'd be a lot easier to slap him around and be like, yo, toughen up, man. But so, yeah, I think that's a, that's another big challenge or fear that I'm going to run into is just knowing when I can push that and when I can show them tough love and, and when they need to learn for themselves. Um, yeah, I think uh, and, and the only other thing I can think of. I mean, obviously, when she's a teenager, dudes better get the hell away from her because <laughs> I'm going to be that guy. I told Shannon right when we found out, I was like, yo, I'm going to get a throat tat, scare dudes away <laughs> right on the middle of my throat, and I'm not. But, I, uh, yeah, I think that's those are the two biggest things, just making sure I have balance in my life so I can be here for her as much as possible. And then uh, the challenge of just knowing when to show tough love and let them learn for themselves and grow stronger versus giving them the answer and just helping them out because that's what I want to do as a soft, softy at heart. Hey guys, sorry for the brief interruption, but I do want to take a moment to mention my sponsor, Health IQ. You can go apply for a free quote today to see what exclusive rate you could get for being a healthy individual at healthiq.com slash boom boom. Or you can talk to an agent directly if you want more information and you can Use the promo code BOOMBOOM to get that exclusive rate. Health IQ is the fastest growing life insurance agency in the entire country. And the reason for that is simple. They are extremely smart and they're doing something extremely beneficial for anybody who is physically active and health conscious. And I know that 99% of the people listening to this, probably even 100%, fall into both of those categories. 56% of the customers who do use Health IQ save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, which basically means we're almost guaranteed to have more money in our pocket because we are investing our hard-earned time and money being physically fit or just generally healthy. And that's exactly what they recognize and that's why they reward us with that. They also recognize that people who work out have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to anybody who is not physically active. So again, we are training hard, we're investing our hard-earned money, we're investing our time, and we are trying actively to be physically fit, and we deserve to be rewarded for that. Well, unlike other life insurance agencies, Health IQ makes sure that you are being rewarded for that by finding you the best policy rate. In fact, Health IQ goes the extra mile, and they actually look up studies. They go deep into the science, and they take real data that proves that we are going to live longer and we are going to live a better life because we are physically fit. And they use this science and data to prove that and get us an exclusive rate. So again, I'm super pumped to have Health IQ on the show sponsoring us because they're doing something life-changing. They're saving us a ton of money and they're just being generally a good business. Good people filled in that business too. And like just talking to them on the phone, it was nice to hear how they go about business. So I'm super pumped to be partnering with them and getting you guys an exclusive rate for being a listener and going out of your way to be healthier. You can go to healthiq.com slash boom boom and get a free quote today, which I highly suggest. And if you want a chance to save and get an exclusive rate, talk to an agent on the phone and mention the promo code boom boom. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. All right, Mike Dickinson, my wife, he loves saying that in parentheses. Hey, congratulations to Mike Dickinson, one of my clients. He just had his wedding, about to go on the honeymoon. Been uh, on point to get to uh, his body uh, where he wanted it to be for the wedding, so I was really pumped by his results that he's been getting with me. My wife and I are going on a honeymoon this Sunday to Ireland. What are some halfway decent, easy-to-pack snacks to carry with us on our plane? I'd like to avoid eating too much airport food if I can. Man. 
so my advice on any airplane is always, number one, if you enjoy intermittent fasting at all, that's a go-to strategy because it's so easy. You're going to be on a plane for hours. Just don't eat. Plain and simple. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Instead, just don't fucking do it. So I really like intermittent fasting, and I'll actually use it too. So if I'm coming back from a vacation and I know that maybe I had too much to drink, maybe I ate out a lot, maybe I wasn't sleeping well, and I just feel like I need like a reset, it's a really easy way to do it. So I'll fast 16, 18, 20, up to 24 hours if I'm coming back from somewhere. I just had another client fly back from Thailand. Um, shout out to Natalie. And she, it was the same thing. She fasted the whole way home. So she got a really good cleanse and it just felt good. And then we come back into a clean eating diet. Like I hate the words clean eating, but you start eating light with just some light, light protein and just some real greens. And you just slowly go into your normal eating again. Um, otherwise, I'm a big fan of beef jerky. I mean, that's my go-to. So beef jerky, maybe some pistachios because they're lower fat than a lot of the cat, uh, nuts. And I don't like bringing a ton of nuts onto a plane because... I mean, we all know how easy it is to smash through a whole entire bag of cashews, and then you look down, you just ate a thousand calories. So, um, maybe some pistachios, some beef jerky. I like caveman bars a lot. Those are really good, which is like a beef jerky bar. RX bars are good, but they are high sugar, so you got to be careful with that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of any protein bar, to be honest with you. So, I like Oh Yeah bars. I like uh, the Oh Yeah One bars. I like the Quest bars. I like shit like that. But to be honest with you, I'm just not a big fan. I think that. It, it just for me personally like when i eat protein bars it just kind of messes with my gut i don't feel the best i know there's a ton of artificial ingredients that i'm just not a big fan of so i try to avoid that uh, but if you can bring dried fruit without a ton of added sugar some beef jerky and some pistachios you got some good carbs some good protein and some good fats right there that's simple james lambley asks coach i have a client who i have implemented many of your strategies with Dope. I like that, man. She's lost 20 pounds with me in six weeks. She's 190 pounds and on 1,500 calories at the minute. I have slowly increased and restructured her macros, but I know they are too low. My question is how to know when to reverse diet to maintain a fat loss. I don't want the progress to stall with nowhere to go, and I don't want lasting metabolic damage. Thanks for all you do, James. James, that's a great question. So first and foremost, educate the client. Plain and simple. So if you have a client on 1,500 calories and you are concerned about her calories being too low for too long, tell her you're concerned and tell her why you're concerned. Because if you approach somebody and you say, hey, look, this is how dieting works. It's like a teeter-totter. We can lower calories and we will start to see the weight shift. We will start to see the ball roll. But it's only going to roll for so long. There is a boundary. And at that point, when it stops, it's usually a hormonal causation or a nervous system adaptation. And basically, we don't want to push that for too long. The longer we push that, the more permanent that becomes. And if we constantly push that hormonal response and we never bring it back, then we are tampering with permanently damaging that hormonal response. And we do not want to do that because long-term health, long-term performance, and long-term results are the most important thing to you, but also for me as your coach to give you. So what I want to propose is that we stall fat loss every so often. We're going to really grind at it. We want to see this weight loss push, but at a certain point, I'm going to have to let you know that we want to bring calories up so we can repair and regenerate and resynthesize the hormones that are running through your body, all your hormones, the entire balance. At that point, we might not see any weight loss for a few weeks, but we want to do this because we want to keep your health in check. After we feel that your biofeedback is good, meaning your stress, your sleep, your cravings, your hunger, your performance, your recovery is on point, we probably know that you're at a healthier point with your calories. And at that point, we can start pushing the needle down again. If you tell somebody that, they're never going to question what you're doing with their diet or with their programming. Um, when you need to reverse diet is when those biofeedback markers start to fail. Now, everybody's going to be different. Everybody's going to adapt a little bit slower or a little bit faster. There's people that you can, you can push them till you're at 8 to 10 times their body weight and calories, which is a pretty low deficit, and they won't notice anything. They're like, damn, dude, I'm still crushing weights. I'm sleeping like a baby. I have no issues. Right? And it takes weeks. And then you have people that will go one week of being at a low-calorie diet, and they're like, yo, I feel like shit. I'm cranky. I'm hangry. I want food. I'm performing horribly. I'm not recovering. And those people you know, they just have a more sensitive hormonal profile. Typically, women might be in that case. More, more women, just plain and simple, they have a, a more sensitive hormonal profile. And for those people, it's more, more pliable. Like we want to – we don't want to – I'm sorry. It's not more pliable. It's more permanent. We don't want to push them too far, and we don't want to push too long. So it really depends on the individual and just track biofeedback every single week. So as you track biofeedback, if things start to lower across the board, then you know you need to stop and bring things back up. 
Um, as far as lasting metabolic damage, if you get to a point where biofeedback is not that great and you leave it there for four plus weeks, that's when you know you're doing long lasting metabolic damage, um, or metabolic adaptation, I should say, because metabolic damage is a frowned upon phrase apparently now. Um, but in most cases, like you're not going to see any real damage to any hormones for eight weeks plus, to be honest with you. That's why bodybuilders can stay healthy like they're though they're not healthy during the prep the last parts of the prep but after the show they can reverse diet and get healthy again it's not the end of the world um and even them they're i mean they're really grinding for the last eight to 12 weeks of their diet even dieting for 24 weeks some of these guys now especially the natural bodybuilders but the last eight to 12 weeks is really the grind where you would see metabolic adaptation occur but it has to happen for eight plus weeks i would say so if you're if you're pushing someone on the fat loss scale and they're seeing results i don't like just biofeedback alone doesn't mean you need to pull the scale back if they have a deadline. If somebody needs to be at a certain way by a certain time and you're really close to their goal, you can kind of have wiggle room with that biofeedback. Like are they going to be hungry? Yeah. Are they going to crave some stuff? Yeah. They got to practice self-discipline. Like at the end of the day, like you were going to be hungry on a diet. Like that's just part of it. It's not going to always be easy. So some people you have to just say like, hey, like what can we do to hold you more accountable and just make give you more self-discipline to help you out along the way because – we we need to we need to push this diet a little bit longer. Alex Stout, this is gonna be the last question. Alex Stout, what is the best way to maintain when training maintain muscle when training for a half or full marathon? And it's difficult to find time to lift weights when you're running five days a week. Man, plain and simple, nutrition's gotta be on point. You have this is where like like I, I would argue that protein is way more important in your diet when you are on a fat loss diet or you are trying to maintain muscle versus trying to build muscle and strength. I would say that you need far less protein if you're just looking to build muscle and perform better because carbs are going to be higher in those scenarios. And when carbs are higher in those scenarios, carbs are a protein-sparing nutrient, meaning that when you have excess carbs, they're going to convert and do the job of protein because you don't have enough protein in your system. Now, when you are dieting, you are scarce on calories. Your body needs the extra protein. That's why I'm pushing calorie or protein to be 1 to 1.2 grams per pound on a serious fat loss diet, depending on the individual. Um, so endurance athlete, I would say it's the same thing. You're going to be wanting frequent feeding, so you're getting constant anabolic signals, the muscle protein signal. The muscle protein sy synthesis signal. God damn. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fucking tongue twister. Muscle protein synthesis signal happens not only when we eat protein, uh, but when we strength train. So if you're not strength training, you need to create that signal through something else, which is going to be eating a leucine-rich protein source, which is usually going to be dairy or some kind of animal product. Um, so I would suggest doing that multiple times a week. So if you're running that much, practicing for a marathon, you're trying to maintain muscle, number one thing is going to be hitting your body weight. Um, or if you're a really light individual, all the way up to 1.2 pounds is going to be safe. Grams per pound is going to be safe. There is literature that shows this. Now, that literature doesn't support long term, so I wouldn't suggest eating 1.2 grams per pound for six years. But if you're going to do it for the months that you're training for this, you're, you should be totally fine. Um, that's going to help you maintain as much muscle as possible. And I would suggest eating three to five servings of this per day. So split your daily protein intake up into three, four, five, six at most meals per day. I would recommend four. Four is going to be optimal for muscle protein synthesis, and it's also not going to wreck your gut because you're eating so frequently. Your, your body kind of gets a break. Um, I would also highly suggest creatine, uh, five grams creatine monohydrate per day. I would highly suggest getting plenty of water, and I would highly suggest getting plenty of great foods so your gut health stays on point because that's, that is going to contribute to a lot. Last but not least, I would highly suggest recovery being beyond optimized. Go to a float tank once a week. You're getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night no matter what. You're meditating after training, after run, so your cortisol response drops a little bit so you can recover better. Like You need to prioritize your recovery above all else because that is going to contribute to building muscle and rebuilding tissue more than anything. So, man, there's no, there's no real secret to it because if you're not strength training, then – you need to do something else. Now, what I would say is if you're if you find it difficult to find time to lift but you still want to, man, do some like some like pump sessions at home. Like I I even do this to break up the day a little bit. I'll go into my garage and now I have a kettlebell, a pull bar, TRX, dumbbells, bench. Like I got a bunch of stuff in my garage. I'll go out there and do like some push-ups and swings or I'll do some pull-ups, stuff like that. You can easily do that. If you woke up every day, you did 50 push-ups and 25 pull-ups, so you did 5 sets of 10 and 5. And then the next day you did 
like RDLs and squats, but you just did like three sets of 10 each, right? Just lightweight, you're doing something, you're activating the muscle every night before you go to bed or before your last meal, that would be golden. So I would get those little tiny anabolic pump sessions, you can call them, I guess. Um, I know the mind pump guys talk about this a lot. They call them trigger sessions. So same idea. Like there's a lot of different ways to do it. I know people that call them active recovery sessions, active muscle building sessions. So it's like on your rest day, but you're just doing these little triggers where you go in, you do some push-ups, you do some curls, you do some side raises, you do some rows, do some squats, do some hip thrusts, whatever your goal is or whatever muscle group you need to work on, or you're just splitting them all up throughout the week. So you're hitting everything um, on top of your running and then just managing your stress, your recovering your nutrition. You're going to be golden, dude. I don't think you have to worry about too much. All right, guys, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, quick shout out to Kier for leaving the dope review, and we are going to ship those out to you right away. For everybody else who has not left a five-star rating and review, if you enjoy this show and you love the content I am bringing to you and it's helping you in any way, whether that's losing fat, building muscle, or just becoming a more confident, stronger-minded version of yourself, please go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and review. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it and how much it actually does help me grow this podcast. And that is my number one mission right now is to grow this podcast, grow this movement so you can get more access, you can get better results, and you can have more information to help you out along your journey. Now, one more quick announcement. I have two products out and I'm going to shout them out because they are crushing it right now and everybody's getting fantastic results. And I have a lot of people who are using both of them. So you can literally use both of my systems and you can get unbelievable results for less than a hundred bucks. And you can use these for months and months on end. It's insane. Now, there's a lot of merit to say coaching is is one of a kind gem. If you need the structure, you need accountability, you need individualism, obviously I suggest coaching. And you can go to my website, boomboomperformance.com to look into that. But if you need a quick training system that is going to apply to your lifestyle, it's going to help you stop being confused, stop guessing when you go to the gym and finally build muscle, build strength. And if you're on a diet, maintain all that while you burn fat. Check out Functional Muscle. It is the functional approach to building muscle and saving your joints. You can get that in the show notes now. The next thing is even cheaper, and it's going to help you with your nutrition. It's called the All-Inclusive Diet to Ma- Guide to Mastering Your Diet, and that's the Nutrition Hierarchy. And this is basically an ebook I wrote based off all the information I put forward to not only help my mentoring coaches, so the coaches who mentor with me, but also how I coach my clients on their nutrition. It's a very, very easy read. It's going to go over meal timing, supplements, macros, micros, everything you need to know in order to get results with your nutrition. So if you want either of those books, they are both in the description now, or you can visit boomboomperformance.com slash products. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I will catch you next time.